Hello, and welcome back to Loading Screen, a podcast where we help you, the listener, discover new video game genres. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Tristan Jung. And this is Raza. On today's episode, we'll be talking about tactical shooter games. Um, this is a subgenre of first-person shooter games, so we're getting a little niche here. And we hope you got, or I hope you got your war paint on, because we'll be diving deep <laughs> into the trenches. I'm just picturing a listener literally putting black paint on their face to listen to the podcast. Yeah, we're going to pause here. Go get your war paint. Yeah. We'll, be, we'll be here. Just, just take a minute or two. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so exactly as you said, Tristan, this is like a pretty niche genre. Uh, I mean, like everyone's heard of first-person shooters, but the idea of a tactical shooter, I think, is a, is a really specific one. So mm-hmm. I'm curious, like, can you tell us what what kind of makes makes these games stand out compared to the typical first-person shooter? Yeah, so I know I said it's a subgenre of first-person games. I guess I already lied. Um, a tactical <laughs> shooter is a subgenre of either first person or third person shooters. I think a lot of games nowadays okay. are more first person. Um, but at a high level, these games simulate realistic combat and there's a lot more reliance on tactics and caution versus quick reflexes. Um, so if you think about the most popular shooting games right now, uh, Call of Duty probably mm-hmm. comes to mind. I think a lot of people think of that game as an arcade shooter, right? You run around... Yep very dependent on reflexes um that is not a tactical shooter because really no i thought it was pretty tactical to just <laughs> made spam just over and over again i guess that is a tactic my my tactic is to just spin around in a circle while <laughs> while you know holding down the shoot button uh-huh usually works usually get like one person that, that's true that is a valid tactic i don't know if there's much <laughs> caution implied in that tactic though no throw it throw caution to the wind yeah uh maybe i can go in a little bit deeper um yeah. I, I think there's a couple of different things uh dave uh Traharn from game spew he was talk he talks about the four different criterias where you want one you want realistic constraints of player movement um so maybe I, i'm gonna put Call of Duty on blast for each of these, right? <laughs> Call of Duty, you're like parkouring off a, a like up a plane or something, right? Yeah, yeah not, not very realistic. <laughs> not very realistic. Um, there's realistic simulated ballistics and accuracy, which sure, Call of Duty may have it has some bullet drop, but it, you know it's not known for it. For sure, um, squad based or multiple approach slash style accessibility. I don't know if that exists in Call of Duty. There's definitely not much squad-based unless you're playing uh, ranked mode. Yeah, makes sense. And a low tolerance or low health realistic damage model. So, you know, you die in a couple hits, right? Yeah. Um, So the TLDR of a tactical shooter is you tend to move slower than your normal arcade shooters, right? You're not like... um, Now I'm remembering... This episode's about Call of Duty at this point. Um, I I remember in like Infinite Warfare, you have like jetpacks and you're flying around and stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, So none of that. No Titan Falls here. No Apex Legends. Um, Interesting. Okay. I'm I'm curious. Like, uh, I I was going to ask you whether these are always set in the present day or if there's any games that are like set in the future as well. But we can also ask that later uh, after we like build up a little bit. Um, What what do you think? Yeah, I think once we get to the game recommendations, but spoilers if you you know if you want the answer now. Um, I'm guessing there's not that many. A lot of games are based on historical events. Gotcha. Okay. Makes there sense. are games that are based on you know uh, modern events. I would say, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. but I don't I don't think I've seen robots in tactical shooter games. If that's what you're asking. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yep. So you move slower. Um, your accuracy is much slower. There's emphasis on you know proper aiming, and you're not holding down the shoot button the whole time. Um, and you have to control or command a squad, or you know mm-hmm. there is a leader in your squad, and you die in like two bullets. Damn, sounds rough. I mean, I usually die in two bullets anyways, but I feel like <laughs> I feel like I would be particularly bad at these kinds of games. 
Um, I, so you've touched upon it being like a, a, a little bit slower than, uh, you know, the, the typical first person shooter or arcade shooter. Um, I know in our last episode uh, about narrative action adventure games, we talked a lot about the rhythm of these kinds of games. Um, if, if you had to, like, how would you describe the general like rhythm of these tactical shooter games? Yeah, so I would say the rhythm of tactical shooter games, like the gameplay loop I have in my head, it tends to be like the actual execution slash gameplay is only a portion of what you do. Interesting, um, okay. I would say a lot of it is kind of upfront planning and strategizing with your team of, hey, this is our objective. Mm-hmm. This is our plan. This is everyone's role in this plan. This is how we're going to actually execute on it. Um, and then I would say the second part is the actual execution, right? You, you land in the map or you're, you're trying to steal a map or Intel or whatever. And then kind of the third aspect of the rhythm is when things go bad, you basically have to improvise on the spot. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it definitely seems like a more involved gameplay style than, uh, than anything like an arcade um, first-person shooter or something like that, um, which is a really interesting approach. I've personally never played these kinds of games, so um, it sounds it sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, and of course, you know, when we get to the game recommendations, I'll talk about it a little bit more. But yep. there are liberties that devs take, you know, to make sure the game's actually fun. <laughs> um, you don't want this to be like a real-life simulation. Like a chore. Yeah. <laughs> So, for instance, like when you're playing Counter-Strike, which I would consider a tactical shooter, you can survive a couple bullets to the chest. You know, Mm -hmm. you can survive a couple bullets to your legs without any consequence to movement, right? Can you imagine if you got shot in the toe in Counter-Strike and now your (laughs) movement speed's down by half? It'd be really frustrating. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes Um, sense. Unless you're looking for something like that. Um, And before I jump into why people play games in this genre, I wanted to uh, do like an inception level of a subgenre and a subgenre. Okay. Which I uh, I don't know if you'll be excited about, but Mill Sims. Good for the ride. Military simulators. Yeah, yeah, it does. uh, Or Mill Sims. That's the official term. They're kind of like the extreme end of tactical shooters. So the things that we talked about prior, like the four key features, they take it up to the extreme. So firearms are modeled after real life. Um, What does that mean? Bullets are grouped by magazines. So, you know, it it counts how many magazines you have, how many bullets you use, uh, you have used in each of them. And if you reload into like an older magazine, it's going to have the same amount of bullets as you had before. Gunshot wounds are usually fatal, so one shot means death. Um, and ballistic simulation is very realistic, so you have to account for wind, gravity, elevation, you know, all the Jesus. fun physics. <laughs> um, oh my god! I remember thinking I was fancy for being able to pull off like a sniper shot in Battlefield uh, back when I was in high school. This sounds mm-hmm. way more intense. Yeah, so that's one aspect. Um, the game systems account for various real life needs as well. So vehicles may have limited cargo space. You know, characters may get hungry and thirsty. Uh, so again, we're, we're getting into the real like annoying uh, yeah. life simulator. Uh, and, sure. But at the end of the day, like some folks are into these type of games. So um, there are usually communities where they run different types of events where they do like quote unquote training. Um, I don't know, but the military probably uses this as well <laughs> in, in some, I like, we didn't have a chance to talk to the army for this episode, but oh, I can God. only imagine. Could you imagine you're like a training for SEAL team six and they're like, all right, we're going to need you to play this Milsim, uh, to be, <laughs> to be ready out there. Um, no, I think this is super interesting to, to learn about. I think like it, it points to, to get meta as well. I think like it points to how all of these genres have like a pretty wide spectrum of accessibility for just how interested you are, right? Like I'm sure some of the games that you'll talk about will be tactical shooters that are quite accessible despite the fact that they're not an arcade shooter. Um, whereas other games are going to be on the opposite end of the spectrum, like very specific, very community driven. And I think like the kinds of fun that you can get out of all of those kinds of games is, is very different, right? Like the accessible ones, you're the easy to try out, hop in, hop out. 
Um, but for people that are looking for a commitment, like even a real hobby in some instances, a lot of these community-driven um, games are can be incredibly satisfying because you know it introduces you to new people, um, gives you something to tactically think about all the time. Um, so yeah, I know it's it's really interesting. Um, so I think this is a pretty nice uh, transition to kind of talking about why people play these games at all, right? Like you obviously talked about some of the redeeming points and some of the more difficult points, but maybe we can lay it out for our listeners. Yeah, I, I had a couple of high level things. We can talk about each of them a little bit. Um, you, you basically said the first one already. I, I wrote down here, overcoming a challenge as a group. It, it's like a social experience. Yep. A lot of the ga- these games, um, you know, they rely on teamwork. You're not uh, Blaska Witch from Wolfenstein. You're not just killing <laughs> a whole army by yourself. Um, and you're operating as a singular unit or sing- singular group to be able to achieve victory. And because they're realistic, uh, groups tend to vary in size. You know, it's not like other games where it's mostly 5v5s. Mm-hmm. Uh, some games go up to 50 versus 50. Wow. Is there a coordination amongst those 50? Uh, th- there's some notion of coordination. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it depends on how serious the game is and how you want to play it. Yeah, right? it makes sense. So, I'm just imagining this giant video chat with 50 people on it being like, oh, sorry, I was muted. Uh, go, go, go ahead. <laughs> I'm dead already, Jim. I can't do anything about it now. <laughs> oh, God. Usually at that scale, it, it breaks down into kind of smaller squads of like four or five. Yeah. And then sense. each squad has a leader. You know, now you can see why this becomes like a huge time sink um, just sure. due to the amount of coordination, like going back to that rhythm, right? Mm-hmm. That strategizing part t- takes a long, long time. I'm curious, like, how do new players typically find these communities? Like, is it, do you think the games are organic enough to where you can just hop into a squad and kind of figure things out? Or are some of them more dedicated and you need, like, Discord or Reddit or I don't know? What's been your experience? I think um, now I'm bummed that we're not going to talk about MMOs this season. But <laughs> I I like to think that these games tend to be a little bit more welcoming. Okay. Because it invites a certain type of person to play, right? You, you need to be, uh, you need to have some interest in this area, military things, military stuffs, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I, I think that uh, because the communities tend to be a little bit smaller than other games, right? You're not turning on Clash yeah. Royale. Um, I, I think folks are more uh, open to teaching them and like welcoming people into their group. Okay, that's good to hear. I mean, it's interesting because so- sometimes video games aren't the most welcoming community. <laughs> a lot of the time, yeah. you know, like, you'll join a Call of Duty chat and mm-hmm. people will just yell slurs at you in really mean ways. Uh, and so I think for a lot of players, it could be pretty daunting uh, jumping into these very niche social things. I don't. I feel this where I'm just like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to learn it as quickly. Um, so anyways, yeah, uh, no, 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 I, I totally agree with you. It's like, imagine, right. It's like, if you went to like a hobby class, right. In real life, let's say you went to a cooking class or like the archery range or something, except, uh, there are 50 people there and they all know each other and you're the new person. (laughs) That's basically kind of the experience, right? Yeah. I think I'm traumatized from the time I went to hot yoga thinking it was for beginners and Uh it wasn't for beginners. Um, and they just shouted pose after pose. And I was just <laughs> sitting there in a 105 degree room, just trying to frantically figure out what the hell the doggy pose was. Uh huh. I mean, never mind. Uh, <laughs> so, is a, yeah. So, I, that's why I'm scared of tactical shooter games. Uh, yeah. Because of hot uh, yoga. Because uh, of hot yoga. That's, yeah. I, I love that um, analogy. Um, but no, no, I, I'm glad you brought it up because next episode, where. I'm going to talk about MOBAs. It's the complete opposite. Um, I don't, I don't want to talk about it here, yeah. but you know, I, I think you're right in terms of, especially for type these type of games where there's a large group of people you need to kind of interact with. Yeah. Um, that kind of social anxiety definitely could be present. For sure. Um, cool. Um, What's the next but, one? But I, I think the, where they try to uh, reduce the friction is that a lot of these games have, VoIP, which means you don't have to go find the Discord server or mm-hmm. the Reddit community. So it's all integrated into the games, usually. Cool. Makes sense. 
Yeah, next thing, I think we talked about this when we were discussing the rhythm. There's a heavy emphasis on strategy. So if you really like strategy games or like thinking kind of in an abstract setting, I guess strategy is not really abstract, um, but but kind of like critical thinking, let's say. So understanding the objectives, maps, weapon loadouts, team compositions, these are things that are necessary for you to succeed. Um, and as I mentioned during the rhythm section, again, being able to change these strategies and gameplays on the fly will help you become the best, right? Mm-hmm. So I think, uh, as I mentioned before, this is very different from a lot of the other arcade shooters where quick reactions and basic map knowledge will get you to be the winner. Um, but this this is very different in terms of like, there's a lot of upfront thinking, a lot of upfront planning that you need to do uh, yeah. to be able to be successful. Yeah, that makes sense. Next is, this is good for folks who want realistic experiences. Maybe it's negative 20 degrees outside and you cannot play laser tag or you know right like maybe your country doesn't allow you allow you to just buy guns yeah right like there's many reasons why you may not want to or be able to do this in real life Um, (laughs) oh my god i'm sorry just the idea of anyone like oh damn i can't buy a gun and be a tactical shooter i can't buy a rocket launcher damn it but but similar to larping that we talked about with RPGs, you know, this is a similar thing. There, unfortunately, or fortunately, there's no uh, shooting equivalent of LARPing. I, I hope, mm-hmm. um, but you know, folks are interested. You know, they, they if they want to kind of have a more realism, uh, realistic experience, they they're able to do this through these games. And for kind of more historical folks, if they want to live out dif- different historical events, different wars, right? If they're really into that, um, a lot of these games are set in those timelines, so they can do that as well. Yeah, for sure. And I, I don't know if you would you agree that I think it's even less on the actual combat and battle component and a lot more on like the tactical elements. Like I feel like the satisfying part based off what you're telling me is a lot more the planning slash execution mm-hmm. rather than like the moment to moment. Oh, I shot someone. And, yeah. and like I've getting an endorphin rush because I like, hit a target. Like arcade gamers, that's definitely the, the goal of like things like Call of Duty, where you're just trying to get that like high rush. Mm-hmm. These things feel much more like, oh, I want to experience that like plan and execution and like literally being smarter than my opposing team because mm-hmm. I outthought them. Um, which is exactly you said, hard to get in like the real day world or like in a LARPing scenario. Yeah, I I 100% agree with you. That that's why I put the overcoming a challenge as a group as the number one thing. Mm-hmm. Because that's what it is, right? If we go back to the definition, the actual firefighting aspect tends to be really short because you die really quickly in these games. Yep. Right. So you know, if you if you chunk out a portion of the time that you're spending in the game, probably like five percent of it is actual shooting, but everything else is strategy and you know broader execution of. Let's say if in a game you you want to um, enter a room, right? So somebody's mm-hmm. in charge of. Uh, breaching the door, somebody else is throwing a flashbang. So it's kind of how all these things come together versus the the shooting aspect. Yeah, definitely makes sense. And then the last thing is these games tend to have a pretty high skill ceiling because there's a lot of realistic aspects of it, right? Like even <laughs> reloading a gun, depending on the game, can get pretty complicated. Um, gotcha. So these games tend to require a pretty large time investment to be able to become a master at and you know we're talking about different roles right so maybe um you are a master at a medic role or a recon role or a sharpshooter but they're all very different in terms of how they play out so i think the diversity in how you can play and and the amount of time it gets you to uh to become good uh combine you know to to basically provide an experience where people are continuously improving yeah makes sense yeah, so I think that was a pretty good overview, for, uh, Tristan. I think, like, just for our listeners, um, some of the most alluring elements of this genre are definitely overcoming a challenge as a group. You know, that strong emphasis on strategy and working together to solve a problem, um, how realistic these scenarios are, uh, and, and finally, the fact that a lot of these games have a really high skill ceiling. And so when you learn to master them and actually, you know, get good, uh, mm-hmm. as people say, um, you know, it's a, it's a very satisfying experience. Um, yeah, actually... So, before that, I want to ask you, have you played any 
tactical shooters now that no, we've not really. gone through? I mean, I think if we were to like define it a bit more loosely and like take out the 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 real world element, then like I've definitely given a go at like I think I've tried kind of uh, Counter Strike. I don't know if that counts as a tactical shooter. Um, what is the new one that everyone's playing? Uh, Valorant. Yes, I've gave I gave like Valorant to go. Those mm-hmm. are definitely not like historically set the way that a lot of your examples. <laughs> what have are been. you talking I mean, about? You, you don't have magic spells in like nineteen ninety five when <laughs> Valorant happened. Um, I suck at these kinds of games, honestly. But I think a part of the reason why is just because I've never found a group with with whom I could learn with. Mm-hmm. Um, if that makes sense, like oftentimes if I played with people, their skill ceiling was much higher than mine. Yeah, uh, and so it it did become harder to ease into the group and like contribute without you know slowing them down. Not that I ever felt like people were frustrated with me because of that, but just uh, you know I think it makes the makes the game a, a little bit less fun. Yeah, um, I will say I'm pretty like I want to try to get good at these games. Like I do think if I could find a group regularly, then I would be more than happy to jump into it because it does sound pretty satisfying, uh, especially the like the strategy elements of like working through a scenario and then having to react on the fly, having a backup plan uh, and not relying on like the gamey elements of games to actually mm-hmm. survive. If that makes sense. Yeah. I, I think that makes sense. Um, and I guess maybe that is a one negative. I, I, I kind of present it as a positive, but the one negative is exactly what you said about the high skill ceiling. Of, yeah. You know, it, it's, the, the skill bounds, skill range is so diverse. Um, yeah. It takes a long time to ramp up. Yeah, and I think because of the fact that these games are community-driven, what naturally happens is that as they get older and older, the people that are good at the game stay and the people that aren't good at the game leave, right? Mm-hmm. And so what happens is that the overall pool of players for older games just tends to be really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes it even harder for someone that's new to like actually hop in and, and learn how the game functions. Yeah. And so there is a benefit to hopping into these games right at the beginning to some degree because of the fact that you're learning with people uh, as you go, right? And mm-hmm. exactly as you mentioned, a component of this, like literally knowing the maps and like knowing the passageways and and recognizing landmarks. And that's a lot easier if you've played a game for like two or three years Versus if you've just hopped into it. And that's yeah. like a pretty clear player advantage. And so, yeah, I would agree that one of the negatives of this genre is like, even though it's satisfying, there is a much steeper learning curve. Um, and it's a much more punishing learning curve than I think any of the other episodes that like we've, we, or the other genres that we've talked about. Yep. I, I definitely agree. To your earlier, earlier point, uh, spoilers, I did actually add CSGO and Valorant as examples nice. in the genre. That's great. Um, it's on the arcadey side of the spectrum, but we can talk about that more later. Yeah, definitely. Cool. So, yeah, I mean, I think uh, one thing I'm curious about is like exactly as I said, a lot of players or a lot of the older games have still have player bases and and still have people who are really really good at the game. I think maybe it'd be good to to kind of go over the history of the genre and talk about some of those really old old games. You know, maybe you have players, maybe they don't. Um, but like, where did all of this really start? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to keep this brief um i i you're probably reading the notes and be like oh my god tristan's gonna talk for another <laughs> hour it's gonna he, you're gonna get like dating sim episode ptsd um <laughs> oh, so god. i'll keep this brief so i would say you know the first uh version of tactical shooters probably started around like 87 1987 with a game called airborne ranger by Microprose. um i won't go too deep into it bunch of games came out let's say um and i think by 98 that is when like the real big hits uh you've probably heard a bunch of these already like rainbow six and ghost recon yep um tom clancy's rainbow six tom clancy's ghost recon these games came out where a lot it was really focused on real world weapons quick kills and strategy um i remember i remember playing the first rainbow six i think it was on pc where you're basically like trying to clear out a building of uh enemies and it's less about 
like I always think about the new Call of Duty 2019. Um, I forgot what the mission's called, but you're also clearing out a building. But that one's just like you go in with the silence weapon and just shoot through the walls and kill everyone. Uh, whereas, <laughs> sorry, that sounds. I, so I'm not pleasant. crazy, I swear. Uh, so pleasant. Yeah. Just <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. But uh, yeah, the, you know, Rainbow Six has hostages. Uh, Rainbow Six has different objectives and strategies, and you're actually commanding different people on the team versus being a one-person army. Um, and I, I think that really defined the genre going forward. And when we talked about different militaries maybe using military simulators as a training tool. The game was inspired by um, the FBI hostage rescue team. And it was basically a way to emphasize strategy. That would be fun without relying on reflexes. So back to what we were saying, it's not about who aims best and shoots fastest. It's Mm -hmm. about the strategy. Um, Since then, there's been many sequels, uh, Ghost Recon 2, Rainbow Six 2. Uh, <laughs> very, very uh, creative there. And I, I think around the late 2000s, a lot of the arcade shooters came out, right? Like Modern Warfare. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the tactical shooters basically went into decline because people tend to prefer the action-centered games a lot more. Um, yeah. It's easier to pick up and play and you know group with their friends. Uh, and there, even the uh, series that really defined the genre tended to move towards like futuristic settings, uh, as we talked about before. So, you know, Ghost Recon had a future soldier uh, game where people had invisibility cloaks, anti rocket <laughs> tanks on their shoulders. Right? This is not very tactical. Maybe it is tactical. Nice. I think but... it's pretty realistic. Everyone knows <laughs> ghosts exist. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, who doesn't walk around with a shoulder mountain mounted uh, anti-tank <laughs> rocket nowadays? Come on. It's 2022. <laughs> so I'm assuming, you know, both you and I kind of came into the quote unquote shooter scene in gaming around that time when it was already in the decline, right? Because yeah, you play Call of Duty. I play Call of Duty. Yeah, totally. I, I mean, I remember this is my most basic gaming experience uh, was definitely just like playing with friends uh, in person, Call of Duty, you know, private lobbies, right? Like this for me was like the, just like the canonical memory of, of, of like being young and, and like, a, like a boy in middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely don't remember counting ammo or trying to strategize. I just remember, you know, running around and like, uh, you know, noob tubing. Um, yeah. It was a good time. Um, I'm going to go off script because there's some topical news that came up, but the first first person shooter game after, or, or the second first person, first person shooter game that I played was a free game called America's army. I don't know if you know about this. I've never heard of this. This is a game that was developed and published by the U S army. Oh, Interesting. <laughs> I'm, okay. ser- I'm serious. It is to inform, educate, and recruit people. And wow. it was free. So I love it. Interesting. This was back in like 09. I was in high school already, I guess. Um, and I didn't have money to buy games. So I mm-hmm. played free games. Yeah. And this was one of the games that I played. And this is where I met a bunch of my gaming friends. Was it any good? It was very tactical. That's why I really liked playing it. Gotcha. Um, okay. It wasn't an arcade shooter. Uh, like how quote unquote realistic it was is like for sniper rifles, there was no crosshair on your screen. Oh. So you would either have to scope in and aim or kind of guess where you're aiming. Yeah. Um, guns would get jammed. So if your gun jams, you have to unjam your gun to continue shooting. Gotcha. There's tracer rounds, like you can get suppressed. So it's actually pretty realistic considering how uh, kind of long ago it was, right? Yeah. Was, uh, I mean, this is like what, 2000s, you said? 2009. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. 2009. Yeah. Interesting. I will say we don't have this in the notes at all, but um, I kind of wish we'd we could have talked a bit more about how the meta commentary around shooter games in general, mm-hmm. um, because they, they're, I think they definitely had the most visibility from non-gamers 
yeah. um, com- uh, compared to any other video game genre for the most part. Like maybe not tactical shooters, yeah. but like this is a pretty clear example of, um, you know, like uh, like a governmental agency taking advantage of a genre to some degree to some would even say propagandize um, and, and like actively recruit yeah. uh, folks. Um, and simultaneously, there was a ton of concern and conversation around this time from um, from a lot of like older uh, parents who had gaming children um, that like, oh, these kinds of games can spur violence or like, oh, we shouldn't be allowing kids to play these games or like they're going too far into, the, into these kinds of genre. Um, I think of all the genres that we've talked about, if anyone has heard of anything, it's the shooter genre. Maybe not the tactical genre, but they've yeah. definitely heard of the oh, yeah. genre. Um, and and there's a ton of like meta level commentary about like how it's influenced the perception of video games and 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 things like that. Um, would have been cool to talk about. Yeah, and it's super controversial. So incredibly, I mean, we're even talking about it now, right? Like we're talking about how. Uh, if you're looking for that experience and you can't you can't do it, then like this is a good way to do that. We're talking about the yeah. military literally creating a game to educate uh, young individuals, being like, "Hey, this is what it's like to be at war." Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's 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 like a people don't think of video games as being like a medium with with that much complexity, but it's pretty clear, ironically, that the most simple form of like arcade gaming and like arcade shooting is also the one with the most meta complexity to it, um, which is interesting. I I think it's easier to relate to in a sense, because like first person things are easier to relate to, right? Mm -hmm. And shooters tend to be the most used genre in that space. Like I guess you can argue Skyrim is also first person, but nobody's hunting dragons outside. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It's also just the fastest response thing, right? Like, like think back to the old games, uh, that, like Pong and things like that. Fundamentally, it was about like a strike, right? Like yeah. you're trying to hit a ball with a thing. Uh, and like all shooting games fundamentally are about bullet hit point. And that's yep. it, right? And like, it's an incredibly satisfying thing. You either get it right or you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do, you win, the other person loses. And so like the simplicity of the the like the foundation of these games is what makes them so successful right that's why like cod went off and continues to go off every year despite making the same game over and over again um it's just because it's fun it's just satisfying to be to do something as simple as a point and hit a target um which is interesting these games obviously stray from that a little bit and they Mm -hmm. slow down the the style um but i think that that's a different kind of fun it's definitely not like the one that most people will be into um, but it is a dip, like a deeper level of engagement. Yeah, I, I'm gonna have to note that down for I don't know, because I, even think about driving games. We are now way off topic. Um, like <laughs> driving sims, you need so much, uh, like, money <laughs> to actually enjoy properly. Yeah. And most people would just prefer to go drive the real thing, right? Like, just exactly. let's rent a sports car and you know, driving on the track. But I think going back to not being able to uh, live out tactical shooter situations very easily outside of joining the army, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you that that people are kind of drawn in by that aspect. It's not something that is like easily doable in, in real life. Um, but I remember like when Modern Warfare came out, there was a mm-hmm. ton of conversation about how it was going to be realistic and like yeah. gritty and things like that. So outside of this genre, I feel like there is a little bit of a, an acknowledgement in the arcade shooter genre of like, mm-hmm. oh, we're not realistic enough. And yeah. they try to move in that direction, but without sacrificing the gameplay elements of like what makes typical arcade shooters as fun as they are. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because they don't come anywhere close to a tactical shooter by no. far. But um but there's like a clear interest of the general audience to want that kind of grittier experience um, without coming at the cost of like the fast response times that, that come with arcade shooters. Yep. Uh, the two things I always laugh when Call of Duty says they're uh, realistic is uh, regenerative health <laughs> and the mar- martyrdom uh, perk. Yeah, the martyrdom perk is hilarious. <laughs> Uh, for those who don't know what it is, it's effectively you die and then you get like an extra like 30 seconds to continue attacking. Um, and it's just hilarious because you've lost. You know you're going to die, but you still get to just zoom around with your little pistol. 
Uh, it's hysterical. I think that's last stand. Mar- the, the martyrdom uh, is when you drop a grenade when you die. Oh, yeah. Which I mean, I mean, the one you stated is also ridiculous. You have already yeah, died. Yeah, yeah. But martyrdom is pretty, pretty freaking funny. Uh, yeah. It's also so annoying because you know Call of Duty has smaller maps and like smaller rooms and things like that a lot of the time, and like you're just stuck in the room. You can't mm-hmm. get out. You just know way you're going to survive that. It's the most like. Uh, yeah, yeah, and if you're playing like Kill Confirmed where you have to walk over their body to pick up the dog tag, it's, it's like <laughs> yeah, a 50 50 gamble all the time. Yeah, exactly. All right, um, we got Okay, totally well, we track. have talked so much about Call of Duty. We're going to just reframe this episode. Uh, back to Armored <laughs> Army for a little bit, so I wrap it up. First, I did get the date wrong. It was early 2000s. It came out in 2002. So this is like a really, really oh, old wow. game. Really old um, game. They kept releasing new versions of it and i want to bring it up because it's a game i uh hold close to my heart because it was like a game where i met a lot of people i we played competitive you know i i got i i really got into first person shooters and they're also shutting it down may of this year so it's like an arc that's coming to an end in my life rest in peace rest in peace um i'm not i don't support the propaganda aspect of this game i I, so (laughs) You know, yeah. I guess maybe it's good that we're shutting it down. I mean, you're Canadian, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, why am I even playing? Where's Canadian or Canada's army? Canada uh, doesn't have an army. They just have maple syrup. Oh, no. Um, but yeah, so I think that's a good segue. So we talked about the, the decline of games. And I think you, you also brought it up where a lot of arcade shooters always market their games as, hey, this is a realistic shooter experience. You know, mm-hmm. you're... It's like you're in the war, blah, 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 blah. Um, and I think there's been a resurgence of appetite from gamers in terms of actually playing tactical shooters. Um, I think Arma 3, Arma 2 um, probably kicked that off. But things like PUBG, uh, I, I kind of yeah. laugh because that's not super tactical, I guess, um, <laughs> You know, has led to other development studios making games like Squad, um, yeah. Rising Storm to Vietnam, Insurgency Sandstorm, which we will talk about because it's in my recommendations list. But they're a lot more tactical than your Call of Duties, um, and you know, this genre has you know continued to enjoy a fairly large following as more and more games have been released over the past, let's say, like five to ten years um, that have more tactical elements. You know, whether it's like magazine dropping or one hit kill things like that. Yeah, makes sense. So. I brought a laundry list, as you may be able to see, <laughs> of different Jesus. games. Um, I've lot. played most of them, so maybe what I can do is I can kind of give a quick blurb and you can ask questions. Or yeah. if you've heard about it or you know, if, if you have some of your perceptions of the game, we can talk about that as well. Um, I broke the recommendation list down to three sections. First is around games that are more arcadey, um, but I would still consider to be tactical. Mm-hmm. Second are games that are, I would say, you know, realistic tactical shooters, where they still have made some uh, development choices to make sure the game is fun. And then the last set is simulation games, going back to like Milsim, um, where it's it's more work versus actually a video game. Yeah. Uh, so let's start with Arcady. Uh, so listeners, this is you know get your note pen and papers out uh, if you want to. <laughs> is that what people do still? Or, or no one, what no, do they do? I, no one writes anymore. Open up your TikTok. Uh, no, <laughs> just a no. <laughs> Trying to keep this episode a little more like you're, was, you're showing your age, dude. You're showing your age. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Arcady games. I put four games here. One, uh, I'm going to switch the order on you. Let's start with uh, CSGO, Counter-Strike Global Offensive. Okay. Um, Counter-Strike, if you don't know, has a long history. Um, There's been, I think, three games, like the original Counter-Strike 1.6, Counter-Strike Source, and then Counter-Strike Global Offensive, which is the newest iteration. Um, The game kind of breakdown is that you play on small to medium-sized maps in a 5v5 setting. And the objective is usually, you know, one team is attacking. They're trying to plant a bomb in one of the sites where the other uh, other team is defending. 
So they are trying to prevent the attackers from planting the bomb or they defuse it. Or there's other types of objectives where you have to rescue hostages. Um, So they keep the kind of high level concept pretty simple. I think where a lot of the tactics come from are the different types of guns that you can buy. So there's guns that work really well in close quarters versus long ranged um, and how you utilize the different utilities that you have. So you can use smoke grenades, flashbangs, um, frag explosives to kind of make noise in different sides of the map or, you know, try to trick people or, or deploy your strategy that you want to play. Makes sense. And in general, I think this is the most uh, spectator friendly one. I believe this is like one of the biggest e- one of the biggest esports. Yeah. So it's arcadey. It's still tactical. Would you say it's also a, like a relatively fast paced game? Because it's round based, right? Like exactly as you said, there's there's like a couple rounds, but each round typically doesn't last very very long, from what I remember. Um, yeah. But maybe I, I'm getting Valorant mixed up with CS:GO. I think each round is about two minutes. And then there's 15 seconds of pause between the rounds. So going back to the rhythm that you have uh, brought up before, the strategy aspect of CSGO is very little. Or you have to do it really, really quickly. Um, So you play in competitive mode, you play first to 16 wins on the same map. So a lot of the strategy comes down from adjusting your play styles or like, you know, adjusting where people go um, to adapt to how the uh, other people other team is playing gotcha it's not realistic in the sense that like you die and then the game is over because you Mm -hmm. you keep coming back to life for the 16 rounds yeah i think one other thing that always stuck out to me with csgo uh, and maybe this is true for a a lot of this genre is compared to like arcade shooters where every player is like constantly leveling up and like unlocking new items and things like that um, the weapons quality uh, and and just like the general weapons that you use are more determined by how well you play in the specific rounds mm-hmm. uh, and carrying over to the next round rather than your overall like player level. Um, yeah. I think it definitely emphasizes more like rewarding per round gameplay mm-hmm. rather than like uh, which is based on how good of a player you are fundamentally rather than like how how good you've been playing for like the last year or something like that. Yeah. Everyone starts from a level playing field. Um, mm-hmm. All the things that you can get as upgrades outside of like the matches are purely cosmetic. Uh, that's a separate topic. We should not go into this episode. But <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would say it really comes down to how good are you at movement? How good are you at aiming? Um, and then there's also a concept of economy in this game as the rounds go by because you have to buy your guns. You have to buy your armor. Um, so the team has to really work together to understand when they can buy, when they're going to save money, things like that. Yeah, when I played this game, I randomly started buying crap, and people I was with were like, "What the they hell?" They got really mad at you, didn't they? They were they, didn't, they were not happy with me. Yeah, that <laughs> sounds like a typical. That's probably why why you're burned by uh, these type of games. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, um, but yeah, it, what about the rest of them? Yeah, next arcade game I want to talk about was Valorant. Uh, Reza, you already brought it up. This was made by Riot Games. Uh, it's kind of Riot's clone of CSGO. Um, a lot of the guns are actually pretty similar. Um, and the movement and, and the physics are actually very similar as well. Uh, where Valorant differs from CSGO is that it is based on fantasy because there are robots and magical people uh, that have different abilities. Nice. Uh, so there, there's... You can only buy guns, and uh, you you basically choose from a list of very unique agents that have their own special abilities. So, you know, maybe someone, uh, there, there's a, an agent that has the ability to deploy smoke screens or kind of throw a Molotov that uh, denies an area. Um, there's another agent who can heal other people or put up ice walls to basically close off a section of the map. So um, very similar to CSGO. Uh, but the difference is a lot of the emphasis is put on the team composition because in CSGO, you just, you know, ev- everyone has the same kit per se. Yeah. Like no one has abilities or anything. Whereas in Valorant, you, you pick a team of five different agents um, that have to be unique. You can't play four of the same people or five of the same people. So a lot of the strategy comes down from understanding the map, how your team likes to play, and picking the right agents to cater to that play style. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, I would say this is a lot more 
uh, this is a lot easier to pick up and play versus CSGO. People tend to be uh, younger uh, and, and they get less angry. So this is a it's good also one. Just, it's just a newer game as well, right? So I think like compared to CSGO, which is, like you said, there's been three iterations. It's, I would say what the canonical tactical shooter, honestly, for most people, mm-hmm. which has like a massive following. Valorant is still kind of new to some degree. And so the general player uh ceiling is going to be a lot lower than it is going to be with CSGO. So I think it's much more approachable in general. Yes. And yeah. I I'll, I'll just agree and continue cuz I I Yeah. yeah. <laughs> cuz I'm so deep There's into so this I games. I have some other things but it's like whatever. Um <laughs> next next arcade game, we talked about Rainbow Six and Rainbow Six actually came out with a game I think about 2014-2015 called Rainbow Six Siege. Um, which also relies on a very similar concept of 5v5, small maps. Um, and they the term that they use in their game are operators. So I think there's like 80 operators that you can choose from now, um, depending on if you're attacking or defending. And each operator has uh, kind of a different set of guns that, that they can choose from and a very, very unique ability that allows them to kind of do different things. So there's an operator who has a sledgehammer um, that can break through walls and windows. <laughs> um, there's an operator who can detect electronics on the map, right? So if you put down the trap, um, they can see it before you even get there. There's gotcha. another operator who doesn't show up on uh, CCTV camera. So it's, I mean, I don't want to go into all of them, um, yeah. but it's a very similar concept of building a team of different operators that fit uh, your team's playstyle and your playstyle as well. Um, and I would say the the key differences in this game versus Valorant and CSGO is that you don't have to buy guns. You don't have to worry about economy. Um, and the environment is very destructible. So that's where a lot of the strategy comes from of like, let's say you are trying to flush out a house in the game mm-hmm. as a team. You can actually just go and blow up the garage door and enter that way. You can... <laughs> blow through the roof and go in that way. Um, So there's a lot of kind of uh, going back to the rhythm, ad hoc decision-making that you need to do depending on what your enemies are doing. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. I think I also like this general trend moving towards um, like operators slash agents. It's definitely not uh, applicable to every kind of game, but I can appreciate how it keeps the, uh, it doesn't fall into the trap of being like, too skill-based where you're rewarded for like the last year or, or, or player level, yes. but it still adds like a nice level of variety. Mm-hmm. Um, so that like, if you want to specialize in one particular character type, um, it kind of lets you do that. And it also makes like each game a bit more unique, I would say compared to CSGO where the general rhythm kind of stays the same, you know, game to game. It, you're really kind of playing out the same scenario a lot of the time. Yes. I, I think, you know, again, as a, uh, long time player in this genre. Even <laughs> in CSGO, there are different roles that you have to take up. So, like, there's roles like entry fragger, lurker, rifler, sniper, things like that. Um, but sure. it's not very spelled out, right? Yeah. So, the skill floor is very, very low because you have to come in and learn it by yourself. So, mm-hmm. I agree with you. Adding agents on operators kind of nudge new players towards, like, this is how you should play the game. Yeah, um, so it's more fun sense. for them, and they actually know what's going on. Yeah, that makes sense. And the last arcade game that I put on here was the Battlefield series. Um, you know, compared to the other three games where they all run 5v5, this is, you know, we're now starting to get into the large-scale fights. Um, mm-hmm. So I think Battlefield 2042, which is the new one that just came out that uh, did horrible, uh, you know, <laughs> they they had 64 versus 64 players. So, I thought it was 128 versus 128. No, no, no. It's 128 total. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, these games take place on huge maps. Um, there's like sectors of the maps and zones within the sectors. You're broken down into different squads of five people or four people. Um, and a lot of the uh, fun of Battlefield is that the environment is fully destructible and there's a lot of kind of events that happen during a match that keeps it exciting. So matches tend to take about 40 to 50 minutes. Um, but one match, a tornado will roll in and like destroy <laughs> all the buildings. 
maybe on another match, like a plane will crash. Like there's so many things that can happen. Um, and this is the first game that we're talking about that has vehicles as well. So you can yeah. f- uh, drive a tank, you can fly a plane. Um, and Battlefield also has different roles. So you can be a medic, an assault, sniper. I think they call it recon um, or an engineer that actually have uh, different abilities to like heal people or give ammo to your teammates, uh, different things like that. So if you had to pick one of the Battlefield games to recommend to people, um, which one would it be? I would say Battlefield 4 is probably the best. Um, It's really old um, relative, but it has a lot of modern game features that people Mm -hmm. tend to enjoy. So there's actually like meta progression. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So like you can, you, you have to unlock guns by, you know, leveling up or, Um, you actually get attachments for your guns by using the gun more. Um, so th- there's incentive to play the game more. And it's fairly well populated, so you're not going to run into empty servers. And the game is like much more balanced. Uh, the yeah. newer Battlefield game has other issues I won't get into. But yeah, n- uh, the number four is probably best. Yeah, makes sense. Um, it was also the last one other than 2042, which was set in the present day, right? Because Battlefield 5 and Battlefield 1 are both set in in like historical settings. Yeah. Uh, World War One and World War Two, I believe. Gotcha. Yeah, uh, yeah. Battlefield Four was the first Battlefield game I ever played. Um, I was encouraged to try it because I I was getting bored of Call of Duty, and one of my friends was like, "Oh, you should try Battlefield. It's like way better, way bigger." Um, and I don't think any game, any Battlefield game since has kind of reached the high of Battlefield Four for me. Mm-hmm. I, I just didn't enjoy five or one very much, and the way that twenty forty two is looking, I don't know if I'm going to give it a shot anytime soon because it, it's a mess. Yeah, just wait. I, I heard they might make it free to play. I, maybe it'll be free to play by the time this episode comes out. <laughs> I would not be shocked, honestly. It's it's yeah. a shit show. show. Um, All right, so those are the arcade games: Valorant, Rainbow Six Siege, CS:GO, and Battlefield. Um, this is less arcadey as Call of Duty. Um, but you're not going to have to go research why this gun has 14 bullets in its magazine versus 16, <laughs> right? Like, you know, it's still very jump in and play uh, yeah. versus a commitment. Um, the next set I have are what I consider to be realistic games. Um, and I can talk about them really quickly as well. The first one, I think this is a really popular one based on you know, how many streamers play it. Escape from Tarkov. Mm-hmm. Um it's similar to PUBG uh, or Battle Royale games in a sense that it's like a persistent world gameplay. So, you know, you play on this huge map um, and whatever you do ends up carrying over as long as you don't die. So um, the gameplay emphasis is around looting, surviving, crafting, you know, killing other people to, to get their loot, things like that. Um, and... The, the reason it's realistic is, you know, there's different features and um, the aiming is a lot more real, realistic. You know, things can degrade, things like that, uh, that make it less arcadey. Um, and depending on who you play with, it, it relies more on uh, the team strategy as well. Uh, the next set, I'm just going to lump into one because I actually never played uh, most of these too much. Uh, Rising Storm 2 Vietnam, Squad, and Insurgency Sandstorm. All these are games that have that, you know, emphasize kind of um, big team matches. You know, Rising Storm 2 has 64 players in the map. Squad supports up to 100. Um, and they are more about kind of utilizing authentic weapons, close quarters engagements. Um, and all, in these games, you will die in like one or two hits. So it's very <laughs> different from the arcade games where you can, you know, heal each other with magic spells or you just regen health, right? There's none of that here. Um, and it's, you really want to avoid um, firefighting as much as possible and, and mm-hmm. make sure that you're accomplishing the goals that you want. Makes sense. Um and then the last game, the only game in the simulation group that I put in is Arma 3. Have you heard of Arma 3 before I mentioned it in this podcast? I've heard of it, yeah, but I've never given it a go. Yeah, this is like, I remember playing Arma 2, um, and I remember being really stressed out. <laughs> and I wasn't playing with other people or anything, I was playing by myself and I was stressed out. Jesus. This game is the most, re- like, it might be more realistic than real life. To be honest, <laughs> like, oh god! Like it, this game is insane. Um, complete tangent, but like 
uh, Gran Turismo 7 State of Play came out. Did you watch that? I did, yeah, yeah. Did you see where they were, like, simulating all the weather effects in, like, yeah, different locations? Talking, and, like, and track road record? temperature yeah, and yeah. how that would affect humidity, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Th- that's, like, what Arma is. Um, to give you some stats, there's 15 different shooting stances that you can use. Oh, wow. So in a lot of the other games, you're usually, like, standing, running, crouching, or prone. That's mm-hmm. four. This has 15. Wow. What um, are they? I, I don't know. I didn't look them up. I should have done that <laughs> research. <laughs> maybe like on the numbers. Maybe, yeah, maybe like a left knee, like right twerking. knee, both knee, twerking, <laughs> twerk shot. Uh, <laughs> it's a twerk shot. <laughs> hey, oh, boys, God. I got a twerk shot. Um, <laughs> uh, so that's in terms of shooting. Um, the game has day and night cycles for the, the maps that you play. And there are 12 different star maps that the game cycles through. So the star maps actually align with the orientation. So you can look up the constellations and know which direction that you're going in. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, This is a game that has no technical limits to player count. So depending on what server you want to jump in, you can have like 500 versus 500 people. My God. How old is this game? Uh, I think this came out like four or five years ago. Wow. Uh, oh, no, even longer than 2013. Damn. If yeah. it's stable, that just kind of goes to show why, why Battlefield 2042 should have been better. Yeah. I'm sure the graphical fidelity is a whole different level, but like, it's a wow, this is, this is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, there's proximity VoIP. So what that means is like your voice uh, chat feature will only trigger to people who are close to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you get too far from someone, you're going to have to use your radio versus like just like yelling it out. So there's that sort of uh, features. Does there's, that only include like your squad or does it also include enemies? Oh, enemies. Is, I, I believe enemies is included as well. Oh, okay. Wow. So yeah. you have to actually be like careful almost of when you're talking um, to like not alert enemies if yeah. they're near you. There's realistic ballistic physics. I think that should have been the first one I mentioned because like that's the <laughs> least cool one because a lot of other games have it. Um, yeah. But yeah, Arma 3, they they call it kind of a military sandbox simulation because okay. you, um, you can create different maps yourself, right? It's not a campaign game. It's not a uh, typical multiplayer game where, where you go in and like fight each other. You play out different situations you can download them from Steam Workshop, things like that. Is this um, free? Is this a free no. play game? No. Oh, okay, okay. For some reason, when I looked it up, I I, it was free. did you hear what I just described? No, <laughs> <laughs> that's why I was shocked. I was like, that makes no sense. I mean, it's still quite cheap. It's only thirty bucks, um, which is, is a pretty good deal, I would say, if you're like interested in the space. Yeah. Um, it looks like they have a ton of DLC now. Uh, I, I played it when it first came out, but. Yeah, uh, Arma 3, if you want that realistic experience, go check it out because it will it will definitely scratch that itch for you. Um, yeah, so those are all the games that I want to bring today in terms of tactical shooters. Um, hopefully, Raza, you, you, this will convince you to or motivate you to play at least one of them again. Yeah, I mean, I think if, if I were to give anything a go, uh, since I'm probably most like the listeners who are compared to you, I would definitely give the arcadey ones a go. Um, all of the other ones sound fun and interesting for sure, but it sounds like for the most uh, like new people, having a game with a large player audience that is at the same level as them is pretty important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think that like the play styles for arcadey games are just generally more approachable if you're... Um, if you're like looking to try this genre out, especially like the tactical element, and I feel like trying out something like Valorant or Rainbow Six or Battlefield, if you're really less tolerant of, of tactical stuff, um, is like a good way to, to, to give it a go. Um, and then if you enjoy that, um, if you're not getting frustrated for whatever reason, then, then I think jumping into the, the, the realistic genre and then the simulation genre um, sounds like the path that like the average person would take um, in, in this space. Yeah, I don't think most people jump into Arma 3 as, as their step one. Yeah, <laughs> I would guess. Yeah. Um, 16-year-old wakes up and they're like, today I'm going to feel like playing Arma 3. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really interesting how at the beginning of the, the podcast we were like, 
yeah, this is a pretty niche podcast, pretty niche mm-hmm. topic. Um, but despite the fact that this is pretty niche, we were also able to lay out three additional subgenres within it. Yeah. Um, it just kind of goes to show how, despite its, um, despite the foundation, it's a pretty uh, variable genre, and and you really can get what you're looking for to some degree, um, just based off of you know where you value tacticalness versus like fun arcadiness, um, etc. Yeah, gaming's crazy. I think there's a game <laughs> out there for everyone, right? Like- yeah. No, honestly. <laughs> Even oh. even last episode, we we chose a super niche topic, but we ended up with what six different recommendations. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, so yeah. Thanks again for joining us on today's episode of Loading Screen. You can find all Loading Screen episodes on on your favorite podcast providers such as Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. Once again, I've been your host Tristan Jung, and this is Raza. Thanks for joining us today.